Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Bro, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. December 5. On this date in history, in the year 1945, Aircraft Squadron Disappears in the Bermuda Triangle. At 2.10 p.m., five U.S. Navy Avenger torpedo bombers comprising Flight 19 take off from the Fort Lauderdale Naval Air Station in Florida on a routine three-hour training mission. Flight 19 was scheduled to take them due east for 120 miles, north for 73 miles, and then back over a final 120-mile leg that would return them to the naval base. They never returned. Two hours after the flight began, the leader of the squadron, who had been flying in the area for more than six months, reported that his compass and backup compass had failed and that his position was unknown. The other planes experienced similar instrument malfunctions. Radio facilities on land were contacted to find the location of the lost squadron, but none were successful. After two more hours of confused messages from the flyers, a distorted radio transmission from the squadron leader was heard at 6.20 p.m., apparently calling for his men to prepare to ditch their aircraft simultaneously because of lack of fuel. By this time, several land radar stations finally determined that Flight 19 was somewhere north of the Bahamas and east of the Florida coast, and at 7.27 p.m., a search-and-rescue Mariner aircraft took off with a 13-man crew. Three minutes later, the Mariner aircraft radioed to its home base that its mission was underway. The Mariner was never heard from again. Later, there was a report from a tanker cruising off the coast of Florida of a visible explosion seen at 7.50 p.m. The disappearance of the four men of Flight 19 and the 13 men of the Mariner led to one of the largest air and sea searches to that date and hundreds of ships and aircraft combed thousands of square miles of the Atlantic Ocean, the Gulf of Mexico, and remote locations within the interior of Florida. No trace of the bodies or aircraft was ever found, although naval officials maintained that the remains of the six aircraft and 27 men were not found because stormy weather destroyed the evidence. The story of the lost squadron helped cement the legend of the Bermuda Triangle, an area of the Atlantic Ocean where ships and aircraft are said to disappear without a trace. December 6. On this date in history, in the year 1969, murder at the Altamont. Altamont, a new music festival in Northern California, was the brainchild of the Rolling Stones, who hoped to cap off their U.S. tour in late 1969 with a concert that would be the West Coast equivalent of Woodstock, in both scale and spirit. Unlike Woodstock, however, which was the result of months of careful planning by a team of well-funded organizers, Altamont was a largely improvised affair that did not even have a definite venue arranged just days before the event. 
It was only on Thursday, December 4, 1969, that organizers settled on the Altamont Speedway location for a free concert that was by then scheduled to include Santana, the Jefferson Airplane, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and the Grateful Dead, all in support of the headlining Stones. The event would also include, infamously, several dozen members of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang acting as informal security staff in exchange for $500 worth of beer as a gratuity. It was dark by the time the concert's next-to-last act, The Grateful Dead, was scheduled to appear. But the dead had left the venue entirely out of concern for their safety when they learned that Jefferson Airplane singer Marty Ballin had been knocked unconscious by one of the Hell's Angels in a melee during his band's performance. It was during the Rolling Stones' set, however, that a 21-year-old Hell's Angel named Alan Passaro stabbed a gun-wielding 18-year-old named Meredith Hunter to death just 20 feet in front of the stage where Mick Jagger was performing Under My Thumb. Unaware of what had just occurred, the Rolling Stones completed their set without further incident, bringing an end to a tumultuous day that also saw three accidental deaths and four live births. The killing of Meredith Hunter at Altamont was captured on film in Gimme Shelter, the documentary of the Stones' 1969 tour by Albert and David Mazels and Charlotte Zwerin, which opens with Jagger viewing the footage in an editing room several months later. In the years since, Jagger has not spoken publicly about the killing for which Passaro was tried, but acquitted on grounds of self-defense. December 7. On this date in history, in the year 1941, air raid on Pearl Harbor... Japanese planes attacked the United States naval base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, territory, killing more than 2,300 Americans. The USS Arizona was completely destroyed and the USS Oklahoma capsized. A total of 12 ships sank or were beached in the attack and nine additional vessels were damaged. More than 160 aircraft were destroyed and more than 150 damaged. A hurried dispatch from the ranking United States Naval officer in Pearl Harbor, Admiral Husband Edward Kimmel, Commander-in-Chief of the United States Pacific Fleet, to all major Navy commands and fleet units provided the first official word of the attack at the ill-prepared Pearl Harbor base. It said simply, Air Raid on Pearl Harbor, X. This is not a drill. December 8. On this date in history, in the year 1941, the United States declares war on Japan. As America's Pacific fleet lay in ruins at Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Roosevelt requests and receives a declaration of war against Japan. Leaning heavily on the arm of his son James, a Marine captain, FDR walked haltingly into the House of Representatives at noon to request a declaration of war from the House and address the nation via radio. Yesterday, the President proclaimed, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan, no matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, 
the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. Roosevelt's 10-minute speech, ending with an oath, so help us God, was greeted in the House by thunderous applause and stamping of feet. Within one hour, the President had his declaration of war with only one dissenting vote from a pacifist in the House. FDR signed the declaration at 4.10 p.m., wearing a black armband to symbolize mourning for those lost at Pearl Harbor. On both coasts, civilian defense groups were mobilized. In New York, Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia ordered the rounding up of Japanese nationals who were transported to Ellis Island and held in custody indefinitely. In California, anti-aircraft batteries were set up on Long Beach and the Hollywood Hills. Reports on supposed spy activity on the part of Japanese Americans began pouring into Washington, even as Japanese Americans paid for space in newspapers to declare unreservedly their loyalty to the United States. The groundwork was being laid for the tragic internment of Japanese Americans, thought a necessary caution at the time, but regretted years later as a hysterical and bigoted response. December 9. On this date in history, in the year 1979, smallpox is officially declared eradicated. The disease, which carries around a 30% chance of death for those who contract it, is the only infectious disease afflicting humans that has officially been eradicated. Something similar to smallpox has ravaged humanity for thousands of years, with the earliest known description appearing in Indian accounts from the 2nd century BCE. It was believed that the Egyptian pharaoh Ramses V died of smallpox in 1145 BCE. However, recent research indicates that the actual smallpox virus may have evolved as late as 1580 CE. A type of inoculation introducing a small amount of the disease in order to bring on a mild case that results in immunity was widespread in China by the 16th century. There is no record of a smallpox-like illness in the Americas before European contact, and the fact that Europeans brought pox with them was a major factor in their conquest and near eradication of many of the indigenous peoples of North, South, and Central America. Smallpox was the leading cause of death in 18th century Europe, leading to many experiments with inoculation. In 1796, the English scientist Edward Jenner discovered a vaccine. Unlike other types of inoculation, Jenner's vaccine, made from a closely related disease that affects cows, carried zero risk of transmission. Many European countries and American states made the vaccination of infants mandatory and Incidents of smallpox declined over the 19th and early 20th centuries. Compared to other epidemic diseases, such as polio or malaria, smallpox eradication was relatively simple because the disease lives only in humans, making human vaccination highly effective at stopping its spread, and its symptoms appear quickly, making it easy to identify and isolate outbreaks. Starting in 1967, the World Health Organization undertook a worldwide effort to identify and stamp out the last remaining outbreaks of the disease. By the mid-70s, smallpox was only present in the Horn of Africa and parts of the India subcontinent. 
The last naturally occurring case was diagnosed in Somalia in 1977. Two years later, doctors proclaimed its eradication. The elimination of smallpox is one of the major successes in the history of science and medicine. December 10. On this date in history, in the year 1690, the first paper currency is issued. A failed attack on Quebec and subsequent near-mutiny forced the Massachusetts Bay Colony to issue the first paper currency in the history of the Western Hemisphere. France and Britain periodically attacked each other's North American colonies throughout the 17th and 18th centuries. In 1690, during one such war, Governor William Phipps of Britain's Massachusetts Bay Colony made a promise he could not keep. After leading a successful invasion of the French colony of Acadia, Phipps decided to raid Quebec City, promising his volunteer troops half the loot in addition to their usual pay. Soldiers were typically paid in coins, but shortages of official currency in the colonies sometimes forced armies to temporarily issue IOUs. In one case, in the form of cut-up playing cards, which troops were allowed to exchange for goods and services until receiving their actual pay. Despite Phipps' grand promise, he failed to take the city, returning to Massachusetts with a damaged fleet and no treasure. With a shortage of coins and nothing else to pay the troops with, Phipps faced a potential mutiny. With no other option, on December 10, 1690, the General Court of Massachusetts ordered the printing of a limited amount of government-backed paper currency to pay the soldiers. A few months later, with tax season approaching, a law was passed removing the limit on how much currency could be printed, calling for the immediate printing of more and permitting the use of paper currency for the payment of taxes. The currency was initially unpopular for anything except paying taxes and was phased out. Within a few years, however, paper currency would return to Massachusetts. The Bank of England began issuing banknotes in 1695, also to pay for war against the French, and they became increasingly common throughout the 18th century. Paper money continued to stoke controversy throughout the early history of the United States, and it was tied to the value of gold for a surprisingly long time. It was not until 1973 that President Richard Nixon officially ended the international convertibility of the U.S. dollar into gold. December 11. On this date in history, in the year 1872, Buffalo Bill Cody makes his first stage appearance. Already appearing as a well-known figure of the Wild West in popular dime novels, Buffalo Bill Cody makes his first stage appearance on this day in a Chicago-based production of The Scouts of the Prairie. Unlike many of his imitators in Wild West shows and movies, William Frederick Cody actually played an important role in the Western settlement that he later romanticized and celebrated. Born in Iowa in 1846, Cody joined the Western Messenger Service of Majors and Russell as a writer while still in his teens. He later claimed to have worked for the famous Pony Express, during which time he allegedly completed the third longest emergency ride in the brief history of that company. During the Civil War, Cody joined forces with a variety of irregular militia groups, 
supporting the North. In 1864, he enlisted in the Union Army as a private and served as a cavalry teamster in 1865. Cody began to earn his famous nickname in 1867 when he signed on to provide buffalo meat for the workers of the Eastern Division of the Union Pacific Railroad Construction Project. His reputation for skilled marksmanship and experience as a rapid delivery messenger attracted the attention of U.S. Army Lieutenant General Philip Sheridan, who gave Cody an unusual four-year position as a scout, a testament to Cody's extraordinary frontier skills. Cody's work as a scout in the Western Indian Wars laid the foundation for his later fame. From 1868 to 1872, he fought in 16 battles with Indians, participated in a celebrated victory over the Cheyenne in 1869. One impressed general praised Cody's extraordinarily good services as trailer and fighter, his marksmanship being very conspicuous. Later, Cody again gained national attention by serving as a hunting guide for famous Europeans and Americans eager to experience a bit of the Wild West before it disappeared. As luck would have it, one of Cody's customers was Edward Judson, a successful writer who penned popular dime novels under the name Ned Buntline. Impressed by his young guide's calm competence and stories of dramatic fights with Indians, Buntline made Cody the hero of a highly imaginative Wild West novel published in 1869. When a stage version of the novel debuted in Chicago as The Scouts of the Prairie, Buntline convinced Cody to abandon his real-life Western adventures to play a highly exaggerated version of himself in the play. Once he had a taste of the performing life, Cody never looked back, though he continued to spend time scouting or guiding hunting trips in the West. Cody remained on the Chicago stage for the next 11 years. Buffalo Bill Cody was the hero of more than 1,700 variant issues of dime novels, and his star shone even more brightly when his world-famous Buffalo Bill's Wild West show debuted in 1883. The show was still touring when Buffalo Bill Cody died in 1917. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for December 5 through December 11. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to visit and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then... Thanks for listening.